Let's pray. Father, the truth is that it is well with our soul because of who you are and what you have done. We can only thank you for that. We thank you for the peace that you have given us in the midst of turmoil, whatever it is. Lord, as we turn our eyes to the scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning, I ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would cause us to hear what you would have us hear. Whether they are words spoken by me or directly by you, cause us to hear you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we have, oh, Children's Church. Is there Children's Church today? No Children's Church. Okay. We, we have a rather short text today. It is Deuteronomy 29, 29, and I'm going to read it. Hear the word of the Lord. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Many of you know that I wrote a couple novels a long time ago. Uh, One of the things that I did when I was putting these novels together was I wrote a few what I considered to be thought-provoking phrases that I included in in between the chapters. Periodically, there was a blank page, and I would include these there. My intent was that the sayings as with the books in general, would would provoke thought. Some people, even though they like the books and even like the inserted phrases, made the comment that the phrases, these insertions, really were not necessary for the flow of the book, though I did try to thematically tie them to their context. I also liked them, and I was the author, and so I included them. The first little phrase in my first book, Will's Bones, for example, this is an example, was inserted before a chapter involving the funeral of my main character's father. The phrase was, death seldom ends anything. Well, not specifically tied to the plot, the phrase thematically was related to what followed, and in reality, it's true. And a big deal if you actually think about it. One of my favorite insertions was one I included before a chapter where the world was being turned upside down and the person responsible for it was sitting before a congressional panel. The two-sentence insertion was connected with its context, kind of. The insertion was... Most of the questions on life's test are known. Why is so much time spent on trying to answer questions that have not been assigned? So so what is the connection between the sayings in my book and this morning's text? Well, first of all, Deuteronomy 29, 29, in truth, just kind of stands out there and, and doesn't really seem to fit into its context kind of like my little phrases between my chapters. When reading the, the commentaries on Deuteronomy 29, 29, the commentators almost all seem to struggle with its context. 
trying, some more successfully than others, and candidly, none of them very convincingly. They try to connect it directly to the narrative flow of the book of Deuteronomy, but it's not that easy. Before verse 29-29 is a recounting of the history of Israel from Egypt through the Exodus into the wilderness to where they were just now about to enter the promised land. In that recounting are some very dire warnings to individuals and to the nation that if they did not take the law that was given to them seriously, a list of curses would befall them, including the enemy, their enemies, mocking them, saying that the awfulness that the people of Israel were experiencing was because Israel did not follow Yahweh and his law. That's before verse 29. After verse 29 is a statement of what would happen to Israel after the awful things happened to Israel, which is assumed will happen to Israel, after Israel repents and turns back to God. It talks about how God would forgive and restore them and basically wipe out their enemies and bless them incredibly if they obeyed the voice of the Lord. That is the context of verse 29-29, and it just does not seem to connect to either what is before it or after it, kind of like the inserted sayings in my books. Yet if you step back a bit and look at verse 29-29 more globally, there is a connection to what surrounds the verse, and not just in Deuteronomy, but in the entire Bible and in all of human life. The truth it declares applies to all circumstances, and we'll kind of touch on that. The, the second connection between our text and the inserted sayings from my book, specifically the inserted saying about the test, life's test, most of the questions on life's test are known. Why is so much time spent on trying to answer questions that have not been assigned? Well, the connection is that my saying basically confronts the issue that verse 29, 29 addresses. Listen to our text again. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. The first point is, the secret things belong to the Lord. They are His and not ours. This means that there are simply things that are secret, which we cannot know, and we will never know, since they are secret. Unless God chooses to reveal them, they will remain secret and unknowable. How come that person died? The scriptures address this in part, but the whole answer is a secret thing. How can there be three in one? In our universe and system of physics and math, while we get part of it, it remains a secret. How does God's sovereignty and our free will work out to the very jot and tittle? When when we get to the end of our understanding on this, a secret remains. The answers to these belong to the Lord. So why do we spend so much time trying to figure out these secret things when these issues have not been assigned? They are not on any test. 
They belong to God. There is a lot that we can know, though, and in fact, we know or can know everything that we need to know. And so much of what we can know is absolutely amazing and wonderful and worth knowing. Yet we drive ourselves crazy, divide fellowships, and historically have shed a lot of blood trying to know or claiming to know the secret things, which we will never know. There is a fundamental human desire to know stuff we can't know. And this desire to know stuff we can't know can become a real problem, a a distraction, and actually a waste of life and time. This is not to downplay curiosity, something God gave us, or a desire to learn, something that is also a gift from God. But we have to admit our limits. I remember as a kid... After my parents bought an encyclopedia set, I would sit and just thumb through them and read uh, section after section. And, you know, I never even came close to getting through all of those. And, And that encyclopedia set is about one gazillionth of what is available to learn in all the books and on the Internet and merely through looking at nature. And while we puff ourselves up and give ourselves degrees for getting just a little bit of knowledge in a certain area, the fact is that we really know very little of what there is to know. And that is just about our existence, in our time, in our universe. And then we get to the one who is greater and more complex and bigger and bigger than our universe and outside of time who made our universe that we can't comprehend. And, and we want to know his secrets and his reasons and his stuff and his ways. We call this theology. We, we even get cocky once in a while and, and, and seem to think we have figured God out, which is impossible, both because of who he is and who we are. One of my favorite quotes about theology is by a man named Frederick Buchner in his book, Wishful Thinking. And this is the quote. Theology is the study of God and his ways. For all we know, dung beetles may study man and his ways and call it humanology. If so, we would probably be more touched and amused than irritated. One hopes that God feels likewise. The the fact is, even if we mastered knowing everything that is knowable about God and his ways, which we can't, there would still be things, many, many, many things, we simply could not comprehend. A definitive understanding of evil and its origin. The reason for the existence of evil an absolute understanding of why good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. What happens when babies die? What is heaven really like? Why did God make us the way he did? What does the inner workings of the Trinity really look like? These are secret things. And here's the point. The wise person is the one who is willing to acknowledge that. The wise person is also the one who focuses on what can be known. Fundamentally, we have a choice. 
we can focus on and spend time wondering about the secret things we will never know, or we can focus on the things we can. And this brings us back to our verse, verse 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. There are secret things that belong to God, and there are things that belong to us. So what are these things that belong to us, and what does that mean for us? First of all, they are not a secret. He has made them known. And the most important things are actually found in in this book. A problem remains, though, since there is simply so much that is knowable, it can be overwhelming. What should we think about, focus on knowing, since there is simply a ton of stuff, a big old encyclopedia? What can we think about and know about? Well, Paul helps us. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, he says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's a really good start. The Proverbs help us a lot. Jesus said that I am the way and the truth. If we want to know about truth or the way or life, look at Jesus. Or Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know about the Father, look at Jesus. Or there are verses like in Deuteronomy chapter 10 that, that kind of direct us. Behold, see, it says, and now Israel... What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Or we go to Micah 6, 8. And these are just some of the things that we can be thinking about and directing our thoughts to. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? If we just work on grasping and knowing those things that I just read, that's a lifetime. And and none of it is a secret. Our text also points us to something else that we should know. It is, and it says, it is the words of the law. And and this does not just mean the Ten Commandments, nor does it mean we today need to follow the sacrificial system described in the law. The words of the law mean the ways of God. It means the truth of God. Knowing the words of the law of God means not worrying about the secret things, but focusing on the things revealed by God and quite specifically contained in the Bible. These things belong to us. God gave them to us. We should know these. But this again gets us to a problem. It's at the end of Deuteronomy 29, 
verse 29. After it says the things that are ours have been revealed to us, it says that we are to do them. The point of the knowledge that we accumulate, of knowing the things that are revealed, is not merely to know them, it is that we may do them. The revealed things, including the law, are ours and ours to know. However, it is meaningless if we do not do them, if they don't impact our life, if we're not incorporating these things we know into what we do today and tomorrow. Being distracted by trying to know the secret things or because we've rejected the answers that God has given us is candidly wrong. There are secret things that belong to God that we will never know, and there are a ton of things that we can know already and we need to know. So why am I addressing this? Well, as I read Deuteronomy chapter 26 to 34 multiple times in preparation for the class, which is after the the message and after the service, verse 29, 29 just kept jumping out at me, and I couldn't help it. I felt compelled. I I had to spend some time in it. Plus, it is absolutely essential that we keep the truth of Deuteronomy 29, 29 front and center as we look at what is going on around us. For instance, I have been asked repeatedly to comment on what I think about what is going on in the Middle East, and if I think it is tied to the Lord's return. After all, the Lord's return is something the church has anticipated since the day Christ ascended to heaven in front of the disciples, as recorded in Acts chapter 1. And Christ's return is anticipated every time the church throughout history has celebrated the Lord's Supper, and we speak... For as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's return is a big deal. And there are things we can know about his return that are recorded in the scriptures. And it appears, appears that some of those things may be happening. In fact, if you do an online search regarding this issue, a bunch of people are convincing thousands and thousands of others that the events are indicators of the Lord's imminent return. Some even claim that they have special knowledge that guarantee it. In fact, if you want to get an online following or even sell some books, start saying you know exactly the date and time when Jesus is coming back. But but here's the truth. When the Lord will come back is a secret thing. In fact, he said so. When we turn to Matthew and he was addressing the issue, here's what he said. But concerning that hour and day, day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be coming the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. When two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. 
For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. After the Lord, after his uh, resurrection, and when the Lord was talking with his disciples and the disciples wanted to know more specifics related to his return, they were told that it was not for them to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. That sounds like a secret to me. So are the things going on in Israel a definite sign of the Lord's return or that it's imminent? I don't know. And, and you know what? We can't know. And I am perfectly fine accepting that fact and accepting the fact that the when is God's secret and belongs to him. Because he is good, and he is sovereign, and we can trust him. But you know what isn't secret? He is currently reigning in his kingdom, and he is coming back. That is a fact. You can bet on it. In fact, as believers, we should be eagerly looking forward to it. It will happen. And as I just read from Matthew, Jesus even told us we need to always be prepared for his return. In fact, he told us multiple times and in multiple ways through multiple stories. Plus, the scriptures tell us that until then, God has work for us to do that we should be focused on. Things such as loving one another or caring for the widow and the orphan or being bold and courageous in the proclamation of his truth, or running our race not encumbered by the things of the world, or, or walking in the light. These are things that we know and we should be doing. We can also know that God cares for us, and we can trust him with our future. And that future and life can only be found in him. Concerning his return, well, I can absolutely guarantee without any hesitation whatsoever that it is closer today than yesterday. But as to when, that remains a secret. My hope and your hope should not be in the when, but in the truth that he will. And that he is able to keep us until then. Whether we live or die, or whether it's premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, pre-trib, post-trib, preterist, etc. The answer to all these end-time questions, as with so many other things we spend our time on, and again, that was just an example, are not going to be on the test. But there is a lot on the test that we should be concerned about. And that is what we should be focused on. And the primary thing that will be on that test is where do you stand today with Jesus? Another thing that will be on that test for those who have the answer to the first question is what have you done about that? 
Or what are you doing today because of that and tomorrow? Hear the word of the Lord again from Deuteronomy 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. There are secret things that only God knows, and these will not be on the test. Be wise and focus on the things God has revealed. These things belong to us, and there is a ton. For example, God loves us. He gave us his law for our good. God sent his son to die for us. God is good. We are to love our neighbor. There is an empty tomb proving that Jesus is who he said he was. We can have hope and unity and life in Christ. He is coming back. The list goes on. We can know these things. Let us live accordingly. Let's pray. How fortunate, Heavenly Father, that we can trust you and that we can rest in the confidence that you are sovereign and you are good. Help us to focus on those things that you have revealed to us and enable us to do them for your kingdom and your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.